Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for tuning into The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of Special Projects at The Block and host of The Scoop. Very excited to be back with you today to have the co-founders of Coliseum, Maddie Taylor and Clay Robbins. Clay, of course, a longtime follower of yours, so very excited to have you on the program. The origin story back in, I guess you guys have been compadres since 2013, and now you guys are uh, building out this this project. So tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing and how it all got started. Yeah. Uh, so as we were just talking about, you know, the the genesis of Coliseum started at the lunch table at Square, where where Maddie and I started our careers about a decade ago. Uh, he had written his his undergraduate thesis on Bitcoin, and we talked incessantly for about four years about it. Um, and you know, all the while at the company, it was sort of one of those things were sort of right place, right time, where we were building sort of in the the heyday of fintech, where we were putting sort of a nice coat of paint on legacy financial infrastructure. And there was this thing called Bitcoin that offered sort of a, a counterbalance to that. Um, and as time progressed and, you know, general purpose smart contracts like Ethereum launched, um, you know, we eventually got the conviction to sort of leave uh, and join uh, Xerox Labs um, basically within a month of each other. Um, worked together there uh, back when DEXs weren't cool. They were never going to actually have... That's back like, when we called it open finance rather than default. Open, well, so hilarious. So this is actually, like, I mean, we can get to the important stuff, but this is, there was a Telegram group where there was uh, you know, a lot of the early founders and, and, and builders in DeFi uh, or what eventually became DeFi, dis- discussing this exact same uh, question, and I will readily admit that I was on the wrong side of that discussion. I was I was more open finance, and Matt, you know, constantly nagged me and said, "Hey, you know, open finance is what gets put on the you know Bain or McKinsey one pager executive summary that TradFi will consume. De- DeFi is actually something that uh, is." Has has a meme and we'll 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 aggregate a community around it. So uh, so yeah, we're we're part of those those early discussions. Um, and uh, as time progressed, I think um, two things happened. One, I built sort of a, a background and track record uh, as an angel investing in and around the ecosystem, and had the opportunity to join Slow Ventures um, to help lead all their early stage crypto investing around um, uh, around uh, twenty twenty one. Uh, and beyond uh, alongside Sam Lesson and, and the other partners there. Um, and then Maddie went to uh, the, the Solana Foundation and Solana Labs just as they were going to mainnet. Um, and hilariously, just in a twist of fate, right? Uh, Slow was a seated stage investor in, in Solana. Maddie was there uh, at, the, um, at the foundation and labs and was charged with the remit of, hey, how do you actually build a developer ecosystem from zero? Um, and, and that's where this idea around... Um, online hackathon started um, and, and really leads into the genesis of Coliseum, which, which we can get into. Which, which, get which into. is effectively, right, we're, we're trying to create a platform for folks who are developing, investing in, um, building in the Solana ecosystem. Yeah, I think, you know, we want Coliseum to be specifically focused on, uh, you know, potential entrepreneurs and developers that are looking to bring, you know, the world on chain with their products. And so, we run these online hackathons that um, you know allow developers to experiment and innovate and ultimately sprint to launch their their new crypto startups on Solana. 
Um, and obviously, we, we have an accelerator and venture fund there to, to support them on the back half uh, for, for some of the winners. So, Maddie, I also uh, uh, follow you as well. I don't want you to feel left out. Um, no, of course not. I, I think, you know, what is so important about about something like this, in my opinion, is Solana and any foundation can only do so much, right? What would have Ethereum had been had it not been for consensus, as an example? What will Solana be, hopefully, um, inshallah, without something like Coliseum? You need multiple parties, right, involved to uh, make any of these ecosystems successful. Um and you, you've even seen it, right, with Solana sort of uh, – the Solana Foundation, I think, was reported a few weeks ago, breaking into those two sort of um, new groups, as it were. To and, and each is going to approach it differently, right? What is your approach? What do you think um, uh, you guys can add, right, that maybe a Solana Foundation can't do or shouldn't be doing? So I think, you know – one benefit of you know having Coliseum as an independent organization is that you get a full-time team just dedicated to scaling out the product that we're building and attracting new developers and founders into the ecosystem. Um, at a foundation, they're working on many different initiatives all at once. Um, but with us, we we can focus in and and align ourselves through incentives and obviously our our underwriting of founders to to grow the the ecosystem uh, a lot. Um, in a lot more scalable, I would say, way than a than an L1 foundation can do, and so that's the immediate, I think, you know, benefit, and it's it's a really positive thing, I think, generally that we see sort of within the Solana ecosystem that there's this um, decentralization of of different efforts where different teams are focusing in on really core important parts of of growing the ecosystem, and you know, we're happy to play a role in that. So you're dealing, I mean, even through, I think, since the launch of the hackathons, you've had. Uh, you know, tens of thousands of participants, um, thousands of projects launched um, with hundreds of millions of of dollars of capital deployed. Um, what sort of are the what sort of are the key challenges that these projects face um, in in sort of getting off the ground? Um, you know, we, we've seen things like. Uh, you know, issues with launching tokens uh, kind of try to be ameliorated through things like Armada. Um, what are some of the other hurdles? Yeah, I think, um, you know, having the seat that I had at Slow, what you saw in sort of the early stage fundraising landscape post um, 2021, right, was this um, massive dearth of, of capital that would help folks de-risk um, and, and take a flyer on building something in earnest full-time, right? So if you look at sort of the history of these hackathons, there's the great headline stat of 80% of, you know, all venture-backed companies in the Solana ecosystem have their genesis in these events. So it's a great, you know, crucible of company formation. However, it takes these teams six to nine months to actually put a round together. And six to nine months in, in crypto years is just an immense amount of time. Um, and so and that's they seem so the, messy these days, don't they? I mean... yeah each project is sort of approaching. I've seen some of these deals and it's like, no one is the same. And there's a lot of confusion about getting them, getting them put together. I'm not going to call it any specific project, but it, I feel like there's definitely, you know, these people they're they know how to build, but maybe they don't know how to do some of this operational stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so for us, 
the two things that we're providing through the accelerator and the fund are one that de-risking capital, right? We're there right at the end of, of um, that first six week engineering sprint that they'll have when, when building their product. Uh, and then separate from that, you know, there are a lot of, you alluded to, to tokens and, and, and the like, there are a lot of um, specific challenges in building in the ecosystem that I think we're really well positioned to help uh, de-risk and, and candidly just provide time for teams to gestate. Right. Anytime you're building in the on-chain environment, it's it's by default an adversarial environment. Right. Before you go from testnet to mainnet, you want to have you know as many eyes as possible on you know the smart contracts that you're building, so that you can de-risk that to the point that there isn't an exploit come you know mainnet launch, which is sort of the death knell for for many projects early on. Um, similarly, you know, growth and distribution is really hard to find. Uh, right. And so with us. The, the beauty of what we have in, in the context of the you know, stable of mentors that we have that represent many of the most successful companies in the ecosystem, as well as, as you alluded to, the tens of thousands of developers that are building um, in these events is a, a, a default customer base that folks can sell into from day one by entering the, the accelerator um, and, and driving that early adoption and presser testing the product as, as it begins to scale its, its customer base. And um, now on the point of tokens, you know, we uh, are not opinionated as to what a company should do. And I have a lot of thoughts as to reasons why you shouldn't launch a token. And so, you know, the way that we invest is via a token warrant structure where it's the option, but not the requirement to issue a token. And I think the, the long arc of history in, in the ecosystem has told us that um, driving distribution and building people, building something people want absent the existence of a token, unless the underlying protocol security is sort of predicated on the existence and, and that, that asset having value, you shouldn't do that from day one. And so for us, um, we are not opinionated as to, you know, where value can accrue, whether it's an equity or token based structure. And, and we have the, the holistic exposure through the fund on, on that front. How do you see it breaking down, Maddie, in terms of, um, equity or, or tokens, when you look at this broad landscape of, of builders, um, where are most folks, where are most folks leaning or are they leaning to points? <laughs> yeah. Points is the, the new meta these days. Um, I would say when we looked back at like the last three years of hackathons and seen where venture back teams ended up on equity versus tokens, and it seems to be a pretty big split. Um, it depends on, I would say the also the vertical in which they're building, obviously like infrastructure plays much more likely to be equity based versus like DeFi protocols or um, consumer applications seem to lean uh, tokens. Um, and so, you know, like Clay said, we, you know, we don't have a strong opinion. We believe that the founder knows best on, on how to, you know, create a business model and a sustainable project for themselves. And um, yeah, we want to support them in whatever their decision is. Um, but, you know, I think in terms of, you know, recent, you know, uh, you know, Solana product and token launches, like folks like, you know, Lucas uh, from from Gito started in one of our hackathons early on and they decided to go the more the token route, which has, I think, been a big success for them. And we've seen others recently kind of go more towards the token model. And so, um, yeah, we're 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 supportive of that and we want to see more people experiment with different token economics. And the thing that I would add to is that, you know, our core remit with Coliseum is growing the pie, right? And and I think as the entry points for developers becomes more diffuse as to, you know, what geo jurisdiction background they come from, right? And and crypto starts to migrate from, you know, this really interesting set of uh 
products uh, uh, that are an output of academic research and more towards just like another port piece of boring infrastructure like AWS that folks use to just power some component of their product. I think the taxonomy of, of the split is going to evolve um, over time. And my guess is that it would trend more towards um, uh, uh, equity in, in sort of the intervening period, um, because candidly, the, the the case studies around tokens putting sort of L1s in a separate bucket is still being borne out, right? You have the the recent example of Uniswap and and um, you know the uh, the the fee switch you know discussion. Where does value accrue between the hold co and the token? And um, and you know founders that building a startup and driving distribution is already hard enough, um, and so. Uh, you know, deviating from that path absent more data um, and, and not being sort of the, the negative case study is, is something that I'm sure folks that don't have sort of five, 10 years of experience in the ecosystem will, will likely stray away from, in my opinion. Can you walk me through the sort of um, positioning of, of the firm or the marketing around it? When we think about um, the different investors, market participants, you've got You've got you've got market making firms doing VC. You've got VCs doing VC. Um, we even had on recently a um, a headhunting firm that invests in some of the companies for which they place executives. Why why should we not think of Coliseum as a as a venture capital firm versus this sort of platform that you're laying out? Why is it not just a, a VC? Yeah, I think it's a function of where we're building the relationship with folks. You know, the the end state, right, of, of this entire sort of product life cycle with Coliseum, um, obviously, is the accelerator for a select number of teams. Um, but the, the, the positive externalities that we're driving through the hackathon program and the compounding growth that will develop in terms of um, new developers entering and building for the first time um, really is our primary remit. Um, now that has a lot of uh, net positive benefits as it relates to the fund, right? Because we are the primary aggregator of the most you know technical and competitive talent in the world, um, building on chain. And should they choose to pursue building, you know, a product uh, full time, will be right there before you know anyone else. Um, so that's a, a key differentiator for us. But um, the reason why you know it's not primarily positioning ourselves as, as a venture fund is really we are um, looking to, to grow the pie because I think we have you know much bigger problems as an industry if, if the developer ecosystem remains stagnant right the, the lifeblood of growth in the ecosystem is a function of the the independent developer ecosystem's health um, and so so we want to make sure that that's our primary remit and service that we're providing and and candidly that's what we want the Coliseum brand associated with first and foremost Maddie go ahead no I was just gonna say and we've even structured sort of a hackathons while they're focused on founders who are you know obviously eligible for most prizes and who were interested to underwrite we also have prizes for like public goods right that don't have an obvious business model but we want to still highlight as you know productive uses of, um, you know, tools and stuff in the ecosystem. So, well, how would you describe the state of, uh, the, the state of developer health in Solana? I'd say it's stronger than ever. Um, I think this is something that kind of, um, is, is one of the reasons why we've started Coliseum is that, you know, in 2020 and 2023, people were kind of claiming that, you know, Solana's developer ecosystem or network is kind of becoming dead. But what we were seeing through the hackathons is that, you know, participation rates were up and to the right. Um, so, you know, that that sometimes doesn't come out um, in, in relation to like public token prices that can kind of 
cloud the 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 actual um, you know reality on the ground in, in these ecosystems. And so, you know, we're excited about what we're seeing in our hackathons. We're excited we're seeing outside of the hackathons too. I mean, there's so many great teams building you know interesting products, especially in Deepin with folks like Helium and Hive Mapper and you know other other teams in that category. So I think it's particularly strong right now and will get stronger over time. Yeah, and it's against the backdrop of a you know increasingly more reliable and robust um, Solana network, right? If you think about, I think since this, the rough patch of of twenty twenty two, the network has really been, um, and then the recent uh, what was it like a week or two weeks ago, um, reliability has been pretty steady, um, and then I think. Just with, I mean, with Fire Dancer coming, it will only continue to improve. Um, so it's probably a really good opportunity right now for for developers to experiment, at least if not build, um, in Solana. The stability of the the underlying substrate and and also the time horizon that we're looking through in in the context of you know these companies that we'll be backing is on you know, five to 10 year time horizon. And, and we only see that that improving. And I think the biggest problem that candidly, I think we face in, in uh, you know, the growth of the ecosystem is actually driving demand for that block space that things like you've alluded to fire dancer will, will allow for. Um, you will obviously have sort of the big um, tentpole enterprise type implementations, you know, getting back to our origins around payments with with Visa's implementation and, and continued piloting there, um, and, and obviously the growth of stablecoins in the ecosystem. But then obviously the long tail developer ecosystem and making sure that continues to trend up and to the right, and, and we provide you know the the, the easiest on ramp to be in experimenting because um, you know otherwise there won't be demand for that block space. It'll be like having a highway without cars on it, which is kind of pointless. And you guys are the uh, in that metaphor the where uh, what are we? We're, we're like the, or we're, yeah, we're, we're, the, we're the Ford, we're, we're the Ford model yeah, we're T the plant. plant, but you know, the entrepreneur is the actual, you know, Henry Ford in this case. That's right. Yeah. That's pretty funny. What do you think are some of the challenges that developers face right now? I think there's, you know, challenges that are being faced on a per ecosystem basis. So I think one of the reasons why we're seeing, you know, an influx in, in the developer ecosystem in Solana is because. Um, you know, the the EVM L2 ecosystem is still trying to figure out exactly how it's going to scale and, you know, um, reducing complexity and overhead for developers building applications on on substrates like rollups or, or app chains. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I think Solana really simplifies the the developer experience and, and actually reduces a lot of those overheads. And so I think that's some complexity actually solved by um, Solana, but um, there's other things around, um, you know, regulation and such um, that can can be complicated for for entrepreneurs as well, and that applies to all different ecosystems. And so, um, obviously, there's there's some very uh, exciting developments and and rulings that have happened in crypto over the last year in, in on the legal front, but um, that continues to be a little bit of an uncertainty for for some founders. Yeah. I would also add too that um, the expansion of touch surfaces for for access points, right, is is a key challenge, right? Where to date the majority of, of you know product implementations have been web apps where you have to connect a wallet through a Chrome plugin and with things like Solana Mobile um, and sort of the growth there uh, um, 
it, it creates an interesting counterpoint or counterbalance to something that's kind of in the cultural zeitgeist in, in, in tech more broadly around trying to, you know, um, disintermediate the duopoly of, of the Google and, and Apple stores, um, you know, most notably with things like the Epic Games fight uh, around this. And so, um, it's an interesting call option on, you know, expansion from web to mobile. And, and the only thing that's going to make that go absent, you know, slow moving, uh, first to be third, as I like to call it, enterprises is long tail independent developers. And so we're, we're excited to see what happens with the expansion to mobile in earnest as well. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting to see. Um, I mean, and, and to your point, right, like a lot of a lot of this building, for lack of a better word, kind of happened quite quietly, like before. Helium exploded. I mean, they were expanding out of Miami and now have have gone uh, sort of nationwide, um, partnering with T-Mobile and Telefonica. I mean, it's pretty pretty incredible. I guess thinking more from a from a technology perspective, how are how are builders conceptualizing the the trade offs required for scaling um, blockchains across functions like data? storage execution yeah i mean my there's a myriad of different like analogs that folks have used i think joel monegro wrote a great piece in in the context of um, ios versus android as one point of framing uh my framework for it has been sort of the the migration in the the sort of second stage of the internet from on-prem databases to aws right and and you know what you had happen back in the day was on-prem databases, uh, much like what I would consider the app chain ecosystem to look like today, required a bunch of different um, decision points as to what type of servers you were going to use, what racks you have, disaster recovery, all these things that had to be customized and required capital and headcount in order to actually execute in earnest. Then the cloud you know, comes along. Um, there are incumbents that are slow to adopt um, because they're unsure around the security implications of like moving stuff to be housed in various AWS servers across the, the country. Um, but what it did, especially, you know, we, we're obviously students of history in the context of accelerators. What it did was it created a massive uh, fertile ground and substrate for new companies to create, be created in a really capital efficient way, right? Where like the backend was completely abstracted to the cloud. And so you could just focus on building the product. And I think what you're seeing now is, is that moment from on-prem to cloud in the context of crypto. And Solana, um, you know, reduces the decision fatigue and the customization required um, uh, in terms of spinning up that backend so that developers can focus on, you know, like the middleware infrastructure that they're building to enable applications or those applications themselves. So that's, that's sort of how I frame it in, in the, the broad progression of technology. Solana's design philosophy of being uh, this vertically integrated blockchain um, execution focused um, also has its unique hurdles in the pursuit of in the pursuit of greater scalability. Um, how do we overcome some of those challenges, or what? I mean, how would you delineate the challenges, and then how maybe? Are they overcome? Yeah, I mean, I think Solana definitely does take a unique architecture approach versus what you see in the EVM space. Um, and I think, you know, what we obviously are very excited about the direction that they took. Um, that's, you know, why we're focused on, you know, growing the startup ecosystem on that particular chain. Um, but there are challenges, right? Like you, you mentioned, you know, there are growing pains in terms of scaling uh, the way it is. Um, and I think, 
um, you know, we're going to have to, you know, go through those through those moments and hopefully, you know, the, they're, they're going to get um, far and few between as time goes on. And I think they in practice, we've already seen that. Um, but there are, you know, um, you know, there's going to be uh, bugs whenever you push the bounds of what, you know, blockchains are capable of. And we don't see this just in Solana, right? Like, um, I think Optimism had a planned outage, block production outage recently. Arbitrum's had a few. Um, obviously, yeah, they don't. Optimism, they like, what are they? Did they turn off the chain? Yeah, it was a planned block block halt. Um, so, um, but, you know, that that's that's fine. You know, like we, we have to move on from, you know, first generation blockchains or we're going to stagnate as an industry. And so I actually think it's great that um, while it's bad that, you know, block productions, uh, block production halts happen, it's great that we're pushing sort of the bounds of what's possible because that's going to open up the new era to produce, you know, category defining products. I, I would, I would add to that, you know, a, a trend that has been just continually revalidated over my time in the ecosystem and Maddie, you know, obviously being uh, alongside me for much of it um, has been to never fade, you know, open source experimentation as a, as a way to progress uh, the stability of technology, right? It was obviously a huge component of the progression of Bitcoin and, and the advent of things like Lightning. It's been a progression that uh, uh, has obviously had massive benefits to the Ethereum ecosystem. And I think too, that's coming to bear uh, in the context of, of um, Solana as well too. And you know, it's worth pointing out that in, in terms of fostering that continued open source experimentation and building of public goods, we actually will have prizes within the hackathons for those public goods um, because we don't want that to atrophy um, because, you know, even though there are a bunch of what we think will be, you know, generation defining companies to be built, um, you still need that steady momentum of, of open source experimentation to, to create uh, a more self, uh, stable substrate um, to, 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 for those, those companies to exist in earnest. What are, what are some of those, um, uh, some of those public goods that can help, maybe solve some of the areas in which Solana is, uh, you know, obviously I think relatively compared to maybe Cosmos, Ethereum layer two, more scalable, um, but maybe on the decentralization side of things, not uh, at the caliber of an, of an ETH. Um, how, how do they, how can public goods be introduced to maybe make it more scalable, make it more decentralized, make it more secure? Yeah, I think one example that came out of uh, Grizzly Thon, which is one of our previous Solana Foundation hackathons, is a project called Tiny Dancer. Um, so kind of an homage to Fire Dancer, where they created the first um, light client for Solana. That's pretty um, clever. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty clever. Uh, Elton John fan, I guess. Yeah. So they uh, there, there's not an obvious, I would say, um, business model around you know light clients, but it does help, obviously with you know, verification of the network and decentralization. And, um, you know, we want to see more, you know, public, you know, goods and tools and open source technology like this, that they can benefit the entire ecosystem of projects building on Solana. And so that's just one example. Any thoughts on your side, Clyde? Yeah, I mean, client diversity is obviously the go-to there. I think, too, as um, Solana's sort of underlying um, technical architecture is built to scale with um, you know, the limits of hardware as those, those improve. I think, you know, that's, there's a huge, huge open source community around um, uh, customization of 
um, new hardware, um, which can improve, you know, validator diversity uh, and, and growth there. Um, so, you know, as block space demand improves and the need to, you know, maintain those records uh, in a decentralized and diverse way is important. I think, you know, continued experimentation around hardware and, and continuing to push the limits on how um, validators can be implemented in earnest um, there in a, in a cost-efficient way, right, so that you can have a lower and lower entry point to spinning up a validator, uh, I think is another key component, at least from a network health perspective. Um, I would say, too, that, you know, a lot of so the history of software development is predicated on these different sort of de facto technical stacks that that folks um, implement. Um, and, you know, this comes to bear in the context of things like token standards, which, um, you know, exists today in the Solana ecosystem, but there's continued experimentation and research that's needed around things like uh, uh, token standards for real world asset issuance, which I know has been sort of a core remit and under the, the umbrella of tokenization. Um, none of that is sort of a tried and true business model, right? That is literally just people coming up with uh, a standard and, and coalescing as a community around um, the, the correct implementation there that will be durable over time. And so, um, you know, to create more entry points and more asset types and more things that can that can exist on chain. Um, that's, I think, another key component absent sort of just the network component. Yeah. The, the last thing I'll add there is like um, there's a, kind of a new uh, feature called token extensions, which kind of yeah. is in line with what Clay was talking around. And so while this is sort of an open source feature and, and a public good for the broader um, ecosystem, you know, uh, for-profit or, you know, more revenue-generating projects are already starting to adopt this. And so even in our last hackathon, there was a team called Fluxbot that was, I think, the first project that actually integrated with token extensions. And we feel that token extensions are going to uh, enable a whole long tail of new use cases, um, not just for startups, but for enterprises too. I mean, there's these um, features called transfer hooks um, that's part of that uh, that package where, you know, an enterprise can basically build in. Austin Federa was uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. pounding the table on that on uh, our, our, our podcast this past October. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, we just feel that like, yeah, things like transfer hooks and token extensions are going to open up a bunch of enterprise cases too. Can we break down yeah. transfer hooks for someone who maybe isn't um, super familiar that might be listening to this? Sure. Um, so um, it's, uh, as far as I understand, it's basically like, um, let's say that you are um, issuing a new token. Um, you put basically a, p a layer in between that token of when you actually like send it from one wallet to another that allows you to basically recall that token. So a use case um, of this obviously is like, what if you're like USDC or some stablecoin issuer where instead of just freezing in an address or something like that that has your token, you can actually recall um, the tokens themselves back to the original gives um, you more more sort of um, not ownership per se but more control over yeah and I you know on one hand this is sort of opposite of what you know maybe um, bitcoiners or uh, folks in the ecosystem who believe in you know like finality around you know uh, transactions but it does you know the fact of the matter is is like these are very useful tools and features for enterprises who you know, want that type of functionality or merchants even like, how do you do chargebacks in the world of, of very crypto. good point. Yeah. Um, and so we feel that like when it comes to real, real world use cases and, and this stuff proliferating through the economy, 
things like token extensions and transfer hooks are going to be utilized pretty broadly. One of the points that I wanted to make just around these different token standards, extensions and the like is no one is going to give a shit about them unless there is a massive canon of developers coalescing around them as a standard, right? And so for us, um, you know, in the tens of thousands of developers that we'll have three times a year participating in these hackathons, that can really codify um, these standards or, you know, importantly provide sort of the the adjustments that are required to make it a viable candidate for use cases like Maddie alluded to in, in the context of payments and chargebacks, which, you know, side note is sort of a, a personal project of mine that there's a product post on you know our platform that, that outlines, you know, some experimentation that I want to see there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, just having that canon to create um, consensus around um, these different standards uh, is, uh, I think, another key role that we play in, in being sort of the aggregator of all of this developer talent globally. Yeah, I think that's like probably um, like if we were to break down the, the core pillars of, of, of what you guys probably want to achieve, it's, uh, is it safe to say one of the main ones is, or I don't know if it's the top one per se, um, but probably one of the main ones is just ushering in a set of standards for this ecosystem around which developers can coalesce. At the end of the day, we have a business to run, right? And we need to obviously give, give a nod towards that. But um, I think Maddie alluded to this at the top of the call is, is that there are a ton of positive externalities that we can, um, that we can affect in the context of the developer ecosystem and crypto broadly um, and and specific to Solana. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a core remit of the role of the platform, um, uh, and and uh, you know that only has benefits to sort of the downstream effects around the accelerator and the fund and 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 the health of you know startups broadly in in venture and in crypto. What what characteristics or qualities do you think make for the most successful and high caliber teams? For us, obviously, we're investing at the earliest possible stages you know, right after a six week hackathon. So, you know, what we look for is not any different than, you know, what you would want to see in a high functioning, you know, uh, co-founding team, which is their ability to sprint quickly, work together, um, iterate on product feedback that they're getting from the community. Um, and ultimately, you know, their, their level of prioritization and execution in that engineering sprint to create some viable proof of concept that, that they, they envision can, can capture a big, part of a, a particular market. And so um, that's why we use the hackathon rather than like a university style college, you know, written application to determine who gets into our accelerator and who we invest in. We feel that like watching folks in this time boxed, time box, you know, startup competition gives us sort of a sense of those particular characteristics that we're looking for in early stage teams. Yeah, I think the, the one thing that's unique about Coliseum and the model that you know, vis-a-vis other venture funds um, is the ability to assess quality through endurance. I think one profile that started to emerge over the last few years in these hackathons is um, that you can't really get in in traditional venture um, is the ability to come in, do a six-week engineering sprint, pressure test sort of a product idea, either get validation or not. If you don't, you have another opportunity for a six-week sprint, you know, a few months later um, and, and that bearing coming to bear in the context of teams that have been through the idea maze several times, we've been able to, you know, foster a relationship with them over that time. And eventually they land on a product that they have deep conviction in other than, 
you know, they walk in and say a few smart things to you and I see at a venture fund and get underwritten on an idea that sets the rudder before they really have proof in, in, um, in the, the product's validity. So I think that's an important component for us. And, you know, one example of this is Tensor uh, in, in the Solana ecosystem. They were just that, right? They were three-time hackathon participants. First two ideas didn't necessarily have legs. Uh, and, and eventually they landed on Tensor as the idea. And now it's, you know, one of the fastest growing marketplaces in, in, uh, in, in crypto. And so um, that's, that's a unique founder profile that we think we have access to that, you know, it's difficult. That's where I bought my quacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. quacks. Um, yeah. I think the other thing that is sort of unique to us is obviously other investors look at this, but you know, we get a sense of this very clearly in our hackathon is like, who's competitive, right? Um, like the competitive drive of a founder really is important in terms of like their long-term ability to stick with a, a product idea or a concept or a startup. Um, I think I forget who the, who said this, but like startups uh, die because of apathy of the founder, not any external uh, kind of factors usually. And so the competitive drive is something that we inherently see with people wanting to join the most competitive hackathon in the world, which is the one that we run. And so um, that's a really important characteristic that I think we uniquely get out of our hackathon. And maybe the last thing just to add is, I think that broadly speaking, what we're doing, you know, we talked about the open source components and, and what we're fostering there. I think the other thing is we're tapping into a well of global talent that, um, that you know, just with an internet connection can begin building in earnest and have access to sort of the on-ramp of, of, of the traditional venture capital ecosystem. And so for us, it's sort of like- How do you tap into this? Trade. How do you tap into that though? I mean, so if you look today, we launched the platform on the 25th of, of January. We have about 2000 signups uh, across 83 different countries. So there's already this like, uh, uh, clear demand from multiple geographies as a function of what Maddie built and scaled um, with the events uh, historically. And so that's kind of a solved problem in, in many ways. Obviously, there's more that we can do in different geographies, but um, but there's there's already that that latent demand there. And, and so for us, like, it's a counter trade against sort of the biases that are inherent to the Silicon Valley model where you have sort of the central casting blue check mark collecting folks that sort of walk through the door and revolve and refactor. And, and um, so giving that, that, you know, uh, uh, equal playing field and entry point uh, on, on a global scale really is something that we haven't seen done effectively to date. Um, and, and that we're really excited about and in, in what we see in the data so far. I think this is also probably something we should have called out in the beginning is that when we say hackathons, we don't mean a traditional hackathon. It's not like you go to a specific um, conference center or a university cafeteria or something like that and go sprint for 48 hours. Our hackathons this are is only online. Yeah, this is like over the course of five to six weeks. It's online. And it, yeah, that's where the kind of well of global talent is is tapping in because you just need an internet connection. We do some of that here at the block. We've had a few long-term fun hackathons come up with some cool tools. Not tools that will help Solana scale though. So not that cool. <laughs> not that cool. Well, if you if you want to, you know, have a, a a track that's focused on it, I think we have a product that can help out. Okay, gentlemen. Uh, over the next six months, what are you most excited about? Yeah, I can probably go first on this one. Um, we're excited to see how people use the platform and how it affects, you know, startup formation in the Solana ecosystem. So people can sign up for an account today. You can search the directory of all these potential co-founders that you can match with to go build in our hackathons. 
you can discuss, you know, product ideas in our forum. And so this is sort of a view one of our, our, you know, our product to, to help with startup formation. And we'll see, you know, what happens and what the outcome of that is, but we're pretty excited about that. And then obviously like there's such an influx of really talented folks coming in through our hackathon that, you know, we're there to support them and we want to, you know, help support them obviously financially, but also getting them embedded in the ecosystem and on-ramping them into, you know, putting their best foot forward. So what is the pipeline? So yeah, I think Clay alluded to this. So we launched the platform um, a couple of weeks ago and roughly about 2000 um, developers. Yeah. 2000 developer, developer signups from 80 plus countries. But how many We've teams seen- is that? Is that how many we, we don't know yet. Um, we won't know until we actually run the hackathon um, renaissance that's uh, ongoing right it's now. It's a lot, isn't it? 2,000 seems like a lot. Uh, it's a lot. I mean, our last hackathon had about 7,000. So, w- you know, we'll we'll see where we are, you know, mid-hackathon. We roughly think we're, we're going to get around that much participation in renaissance. And so... Um, I didn't know there are 2,000 people that know what Solana is. Yeah. I, yeah, I think this is like... Um, there's what, like 3.4 million uh, active users of Phantom. So, you know, there's some there's some demand there. I'm stuck in 20, uh, 2018. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was it was Loom back then, I think, is, is your reference point. Uh, um, yeah, I think my, my two for on what I'm most excited about kind of drafts off of what Maddie said, which is, you know, today these hackathons have been built with a bunch of off-the-shelf sort of products and services that were held together with duct tape and Elmer's glue. And I think what we've built with the platform and really treating these hackathons as a product um, is, is something that I'm just excited to see the organic adoption of. And Nate, our third co-founder, who was um, previously on, on Stripe's crypto team, has built that platform end to end. And, you know, uh, has we have a lot to stand behind in, in the context of, you know, building a bespoke platform to facilitate exactly what we're looking to do. And sort of the second component of that is, I think the platform uh, helps to, you know, set the rudder on Coliseum establishing itself as um, de facto entry point to building, you know, in crypto for the first time because we create, you know, a consistent uh, uh, point of entry, um, supporting infrastructure, and obviously uh, down the line access to capital should you want to continue on that that journey. And so um, for us, it's really just establishing the brand sort of. Uh, as as an independent organization um, through through that organic adoption, so that's that's what I'm most most excited about, you know. And selfishly, like one of the things that I love about you know building Coliseum is previously I either had to choose between being sort of an operator versus an investor, and now I kind of get to do both, which is a lot of fun to to have both hats on um, in in terms of the different pillars that we're building towards with, with it. So um, I know that that's personally super fulfilling. I can relate to that. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for taking the time. Sure thing. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. And The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest, maybe two again.